hard rain and slow trains. Stick around for the next hour of Bob Dylan and his fellow travelers. It's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain. Broadcasting to you from KEPW 97.3 FM, PeaceWorks Community Radio in Eugene, Oregon, and streaming online at KEPW.org. October 22, 1962, President John F. Kennedy broadcast a special message to the nation from his office in the White House. Here is President Kennedy as he delivered that message bearing on recent events in Cuba. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. Upon receiving the first preliminary hard information of this nature, last Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., I directed that our surveillance be stepped up. And having now confirmed and completed our evaluation of the evidence and our decision on a course of action, this government feels obliged to report this new crisis to you. This urgent transformation of Cuba into an important strategic base by the presence of these large, long-range, and clearly offensive weapons of sudden mass destruction constitutes an explicit threat to the peace and security of all the Americas. This sudden, clandestine decision to station strategic weapons for the first time outside of Soviet soil is a deliberately provocative and unjustified change in the status quo, which cannot be accepted by this country if our courage and our commitments are ever to be trusted again by either friend or foe. We will not prematurely or unnecessarily risk the course of worldwide nuclear war in which even the fruits of victory would be ashes in our mouth. But neither will we shrink from that risk at any time it must be faced. Acting therefore in the defense of our own security and of the entire Western Hemisphere, I call upon Chairman Khrushchev to halt and eliminate this clandestine, reckless, and provocative threat to world peace and to stable relations between our two nations. I call upon him further to abandon this course of world domination and to join in an historic effort to end the perilous arms race and to transform the history of man. He has an opportunity now to move the world back from the abyss of destruction by returning to his government's own words that it had no need to station missiles outside its own territory and withdrawing these weapons from Cuba, by refraining from any action which will widen or deepen the present crisis, and then by participating in a search for peaceful and permanent solutions. 
This nation is prepared to present its case against the Soviet threat to peace and our own proposals for a peaceful world at any time and in any forum. We have no wish to war with the Soviet Union, for we are a peaceful people who desire to live in peace with all other peoples. But it is difficult to settle or even discuss these problems in an atmosphere of intimidation. My fellow citizens, let no one doubt that this is a difficult and dangerous effort on which we have set out. No one can foresee precisely what course it will take or what costs or casualties will be incurred. Many months of sacrifice and self-discipline lie ahead, months in which both our patience and our will will be tested, months in which many threats and denunciations will keep us aware of our dangers. But the greatest danger of all would be to do nothing. The path we have chosen for the present is full of hazards, as all paths are. But it is the one most consistent with our character and courage as a nation and our commitments around the world. The cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender or submission. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Not peace at the expense of freedom, but both peace and freedom here in this hemisphere. And we hope around the world, God willing, that goal will be achieved. Thank you and good night. For 13 days in October of 1962, the world stood still in a standoff of giants who would budge. In the Western Hemisphere was the second youngest president in American history, a prep school student and Harvard graduate who had already been tested in the frigid waters of the Pacific in World War II. Commanding a torpedo boat 80 feet long and 20 feet wide at beam, the then lieutenant spotted a Japanese destroyer in the region of his patrol. While turning to attack, his boat was rammed in a sneak attack that cut the boat in two and killed two crewmen. Aboard the wreckage of the ship, the lieutenant gathered his surviving men, asking them if they elected to fight or surrender. A lot of you men have families and some of you have children, he asked them. What do you want to do? I have nothing to lose. They elected to fight, swimming almost four miles to the nearest island. Lieutenant John Fitzgerald Kennedy swam, towing a severely burned crewman through the water with the man's life jacket strap clenched between his teeth. Later, he would swim between islands, attempting to effect a rescue, which was finally accomplished six days later. This man, the future author of Profiles in Courage, had already been tested and passed. Standing opposite him, behind a curtain of iron, was a man 23 years his senior. A peasant who had been a cowherd, a factory worker, a widower at 27, he became a party man for economic reasons, a commissaire of construction, an assistant director of political affairs for a mine. First motivated by economic necessity, this man morphed into a political creature. He beat his shoes to Ukraine, to Kiev, where he labored under the Communist Party head there. He networked. He befriended Joseph Stalin's wife, Nadezhda. She spoke well of him to the mustachioed Stalin. He relocated to Moscow, oversaw the completion of the Moscow Metro Underground, where many workers died digging tunnels for future commuters. When friends and colleagues were shipped to the Gulag, he signed off. 
he was pinned with the Order of Lenin, the highest Soviet civilian decoration. Again, it was back to Kiev in Ukraine where he led the Communist Party. He led an effort to destroy slanderers, to unmask the enemies the Soviet state saw everywhere amid its very own. He was caught between Soviet incompetence and German fury as Kharkov was pierced by German tanks. He was sent from the frying pan into the fire as he was assigned to Stalingrad. He lost his son, a pilot, who was shot from the sky. He returned to Ukraine and worked to rebuild it. Then in 1953, the mustachioed ones seized up and died, at a time when those on the losing end of political machinations often ended up dead. Nikita Sergeyevich Khrushchev rose to the top, becoming the first secretary of the Communist Party, where he would face off with President Kennedy over missile silos dotting the fertile acreage of Cuba in the Caribbean. Gazes locked, short-sighted advisors spewed, the world froze. What would happen? Where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Where have you been, my darling young one? I've stumbled on the side of twelve nasty mountains. I've stepped in the middle of seven sad forests. I've walked and I've crawled on six cricket highways I've been out in front of a dozen dead oceans I've been ten thousand miles in the mouth of a graveyard And it's a heart, it's a heart, it's a heart, it's a heart It's a heart rains are gonna fall What did you see, my blue-eyed son? And what did you see, my darling young one? I saw a newborn baby with wild wolves all around him. I saw highway diamonds with nobody on it. I saw a black branch with blood that kept dripping I saw a room full of men with their hammers bleeding I saw a white ladder hole covered with water I saw ten thousand talkers whose tongues were all broken I saw guns and sharp swords in the hands of young children it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard rain to gonna fall. And what did you hear, my blue-eyed son? And what did you hear, my darling young one? Heard the sound of a thunder that roared out a warning. 
Heard the roar of a wave that could drown the whole world I heard one hundred drummers whose hands were blazing I heard ten thousand whispering and nobody listening I heard one person starve, I heard many people laughing I heard the song of a poet who died in the gutter I heard the sounds of a clown who cried in the alley I heard the sound of one person who cried he was human And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard Who did you meet, my blue-eyed son? Yes, and who did you meet, my darling young one? I met a young child beside a dead pony. I met a white man who walked a black dog. I met one woman whose body was burning I met another girl, she gave me a rainbow I met one man who was wounded in love I met another man who was wounded in hatred And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard and it's a hard rain to gonna fall Oh, what'll you do now, my blue-eyed son? And what'll you do now, my darling young one? I'm going back out for the rain starts to falling I walk to the depths of the deepest dark forest Where the people are many and their hands are all empty Where the pellets of poison are flooding their waters Where the home in the valley meets the damp, dirty prison And the executioner's face is always well hidden where the hunger is ugly with souls are forgotten Where black is the color and none is the number And I tell it and show it and think it and breathe it And reflect from the mountain so all souls can see it And I stand on the ocean until I start sinking but I'll know my song well before I start singing And it's a hard, it's a hard, it's a hard Bob Dylan at the Gaslight Cafe and Basket House at 116 McDougal Street in New York City in mid-October of 1962, just as the Cuban Missile Crisis was taking shape. It was after hours. 
The doors were locked. The clothes sign hung on the door. Yet down the steps and within the cafe, under the kettle of fish bar, Dylan performed a set of songs recorded by Richard Alderson that is the first of what would eventually become a sizable list of transcendent Bob Dylan performances that could legitimately be regarded as his greatest ever. Dylan's Gaslight Cafe performance occurred just before the 13-day standoff of the Cuban Missile Crisis. A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall was written a full month before the first recorded version of which we played in our August and September episode of A Highway of Diamonds, a month ago on September 22nd, where Dylan played it for the Mackenzies at their home on September 20th. A month on, and Dylan's circle of intimates were already familiar with the song, as you could hear with people singing along on the refrain. The song would become associated with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Although it clearly predates the crisis, Dylan himself associated the song with it when reflecting on the song in 1965. I wrote it at the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I was in Bleecker Street in New York. We just hung around at night. People sat around wondering if it was the end. And so did I. Would one o'clock the next day ever come? It was a song of desperation. What could we do? Could we control men on the verge of wiping us out? The words came fast, very fast. It was a song of terror, line after line, trying to capture the feeling of nothingness. The Gaslight Cafe recording we have is from two consecutive nights at the Gaslight, made after hours by Alderson at the behest of Albert Grossman, in order to capture some of Dylan's newest exceptional songs and tender renditions of ballads and blues, so that Dylan would have a demo tape that Grossman could use in his efforts to renegotiate the royalty rate and terms of Dylan's contract with Columbia Records. Intimately recorded by Alderson, the tape captures a plaintive Dylan voice, unlike that of the strident hero that would come to the fore on forthcoming Columbia Records. Thank you. 
ruim e... Come here quick, this old cocaine is making me sick Cocaine all around my brain Yeah, I'm come up with old dress in white Hey baby, gonna stay all night Cocaine all around my brain Hey mama, won't you come here quick? This old cocaine is making me sick. Cocaine around my brain. Now I come on, baby, old dress in blue. Hey baby, what you gonna do? Cocaine around. Hey baby, won't you come here quick? This old cocaine is making me sick. Cocaine all around my brain. Well, look down, tense to turn to me, looking for a guy to call cocaine. Cocaine all around my brain. Then I walked down 10th Street, turned down Beale, looking for a guy they call Lucille. Cocaine all around my brain. And I come, baby, old dress in white. Hey, baby, gonna stay all night. Cocaine. Bob Dylan demonstrating his finger picking in his version of Reverend Gary Davis's Cocaine. You heard Dave Von Rock's version just a few months ago in our June 9th, 2022 episode, A Highway of Diamonds, Bob Dylan in May, June of 1962. Before that, a plaintive version of the traditional No More Auction Block, which you just recently heard in our April 28th, 2022 episode, May Your Song Always Be Sung, Blowing in the Wind, as Dylan used its melody as the basis for that anthem. Both performances were drawn from the two Gaslight Cafe concerts in mid-October of 1962 that revealed Dylan in a character and mood he would not often sustain for an entire concert again. Welcome back to Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers. We are visiting 1962 tonight. 
October of 1962, in this month's installment of our monthly A Highway of Diamonds series. So a highway of diamonds with nobody on it. Taking A Highway of Diamonds back 60 years and remembering the 60th anniversary, the diamond anniversary of Bob Dylan in October of 1962. While the world was in crisis, Dylan was lonesome and feeling hopeless, missing his sweetheart Susie Rotolo, who had been in Italy since June. Here's a passage from Rotolo's memoir, A Freewheeling Time, a memoir of Greenwich Village in the 60s that quotes a letter that Dylan wrote her in the wake of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The spell broke around the time weather blew in from the surrounding mountains. It was October 1962, and on the 19th, the Cuban Missile Crisis exploded. I was in a cafe in Perugia, watching Kennedy on TV. It was very tense. People were crowded around the television in stunned silence. Everyone thought the world was on the brink of nuclear annihilation. Life as we knew it was about to end. A letter from Bob arrived on October 29th, after the worst of the crisis was over and the worst conceivable horror had been avoided. He wrote that in the time leading up to the face-off between the United States and the Soviet Union, he felt that the maniacs were really going to do it this time, and he recounted his passive acceptance of the inevitability of dying. He only hoped that he would die quick and not have to put up with radiation. Sitting in the Figaro all night waiting for the world to end, the first night Kennedy talked and the Russian ships were getting nearer Cuba, I honest to God thought it was all over. Not that I gave a shit any more than the next guy. That's a lie, I guess. But it was interesting waiting for the bombs to fall and kill you. And it really seemed that way. If the world did end that night, all I wanted was to be with you. And it was impossible because you're so far away. And that was why it seemed so hopeless. I have uh, today been informed by Chairman Khrushchev that all of the IL-28 bombers now in Cuba will be withdrawn in 30 days. He also agrees that these planes can be observed and counted as they leave. Inasmuch as this goes a long way towards reducing the danger which faced this hemisphere four weeks ago, I have this afternoon instructed the Secretary of Defense to lift our naval quarantine. We will not, of course, abandon the political, economic, and other efforts of this hemisphere to halt subversion from Cuba, nor our purpose and hope that the Cuban people shall someday be truly free. But these policies are very different from any intent to launch a military invasion of the island. May I add this final thought? In this week of Thanksgiving, there is much for which we can be grateful. As we look back to where we stood only four weeks ago, the unity of this hemisphere, the support of our allies, and the calm determination of the American people. These qualities may be tested many more times in this decade, but we have increased reason to be confident that those qualities will continue to serve the cause of freedom with distinction in the years to come. The Cuban Missile Crisis was averted and the ghouls with their graveyard schemes trotted off to play war in the jungle. Number one on the U.S. Top 40 singles for the weeks ending October 20th and 27th of 1962 in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis was Monster Mash by Bobby Pickett and the Crypt Kickers. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight for my monster from his slab began to rise and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. 
It got on in a flash He did the mash He did the monster mash From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abode To get a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun The party had just begun The guests included Wolfman, Dracula and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rex's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band. And my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them what is sent. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can Then you can monster mash. Mash! Easy, Igor. You impetuous young boy. Mash good! Monster mash! A session that was to include a 20-year-old Leon Russell, but it was recorded without him because he arrived late to the studio. In advance of the May 10th opening of the Bob Dylan Center this past spring, the Bob Dylan Archive released the first recorded version of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right, performed at the home of Milton and Lillian Bailey in New York City in October of 1962, the month that we are featuring tonight on Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and Fellow Travelers. Even in this first recorded version, Dylan's impressive finger-picking is evident. The song was written in September as Dylan continued to suffer heartache from his separation from Susie Bertolo, who was still in Italy after having left for Europe in June. From its first known recording, here is Bob Dylan with Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Alright. 
dark side of the road I wish there was something you would be Oh, say, try and make me change my mind instead We never did too much talking anyway Don't think twice, it's alright Milton and Lillian Bailey, Bob Dylan, with the first known recording of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. You're listening to Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers, and tonight's episode is A Highway of Diamonds, Bob Dylan in October of 1962. In early October, Dylan appeared on the Billy Fair Show on WBAI in New York City. He played a four-song set, wrapping up with the traditional Make Me a Pallet on Your Floor. Oh, 
Before digging up a 1962 time capsule and 20 pounds of headlines, let's listen to some more performances from Dylan's October 1962 Gaslight gig, starting with this stirring morality tale that Dylan got from Lord Buckley, a 1948 song written by Joseph Newman, Paul Newman's uncle, titled Black Cross. This is a story of Hezekiah Jones. Hezekiah Jones lived in a place in Arkansas. And he never had too much, except he had some land. And he had a couple hogs and things like that. He never had much money, but he spent what he did make as fast as he made it. So it never really mattered that he had much money. But in the cupboard there, he kept in the cupboard, kept in the cupboard books. He called uh, the books his rainy season. White folks around the county there talked about Hezekiah. They said, uh, "Well, well, old Hezekiah, he's he's harmless enough. Well, the way I see it, he uh, better put down them goddamn books. Reading ain't no good for nigger with nigger." One day the white man's preacher came around knocking on doors, knocking on all the doors in the county, knocked on Hezekiah's door. He says, Hezekiah, you believe in the Lord? Hezekiah says, well, I don't know. I never really seen the Lord. I can't say as I do. 
says, Hezekiah, you believe in the church? Hezekiah says, well, the church is divided, ain't they? They, they can't make up their minds. I'm just like them. I can't make up mine either. He says, Hezekiah, you believe that if a man is good, heaven is his last reward? Hezekiah says, I'm good. Good is my neighbor. You don't believe in nothing, said the white man's preacher. You don't believe in nothing. Oh, yes, I do, says Hezekiah. I believe that a man should be indebted to his neighbor, not for the reward of a heaven or a fear of hell fire. But you don't understand, said the white man's preacher, there's a lot of good ways for a man to be wicked. And he hung Hezekiah as high as a pigeon. White folks around there said, well, he had it coming. Cause the son of a bitch never had no religion.
on the horizon. Oh, oh, oh. It done grounded her all to molasses. Should have been on the river in 1910. Mm-hmm. It was driving the women just like me. Mm-hmm. Should have been on the river in 1905. Oh. Find yourself lucky to be alive Oh, oh, oh. oh down old Hannah, don't you rise no more mm-hmm. Don't you rise till judgment day It all to mm-hmm. All across the telegraph, his name it did resound with twenty pounds of headlines. Welcome back to 20 Pounds of Headlines, your news from October of 1962 in the world of Bob Dylan. The October edition of Broadside Magazine in 1962 did not contain any new Bob Dylan lyrics, but it did feature in its cover story, entitled The Battle of Mississippi, the story of James Meredith's admission into the University of Mississippi on October 1st and the racist opposition with which he was met. In response, Dylan wrote Oxford Town, which he would record toward the end of the month, along with three other songs as part of the Broadside Office Tapes in New York City's Folkway Studios. Also featured in the October edition of Broadside was Phil Oak's song, Vietnam. Oh, why must we die in Vietnam? Well, I don't really care to die for the new frontier. At the end of 1962, there were 53 U.S. casualties in Vietnam. By January of 1973, 10 years and three months later, that number would be 45,933. It would eventually settle at 58,220. At the Gaslight Cafe performance, Dylan had unveiled a new song, John Brown. His mother sure was proud of him As he stood so straight and tall In his uniform and all His mother's face broke out all to a grin 
Oh, son, you look so fine. Oh, I'm glad you're a son of mine. You make me proud to know you hold a gun. Do what the captain says. Lots of medals you will get. We'll put them on the wall when you come home. When that old train pulled out, John's mom began to shout, telling everybody in the whole neighborhood, that's my son's about to go. He's a soldier now, you know. She made well and just sure her neighbors understood. Her face broke into a smile Yeah, she showed them to the people from next door And she bragged about her son With his uniform and gun And anything she called it Good old-fashioned war Then the letters ceased to come For a long time they never come they ceased to come for about nine months or more Then a letter finally came Saying get down and meet the train Your sons are coming home from the war But she did not see her soldier son in sight But as all the people passed She saw her son at last When she did, she could hardly believe her eyes His face was all shot up And his hands were both blown off And he wore a metal brace around his waist He was but kind of slow In a voice she did not know well, she could not even recognize his face. Oh, my darling son, tell me what to you they've done. How is it that you come to be this way? His mouth could hardly move as he tried his best to talk. And she did not even recognize his voice. Don't you remember, Ma, when I went off to war? You thought it was the best thing I could do. I was on the battleground, you were home of feeling proud. Thank God you wasn't standing in my shoes. Cause I thought when I was there, God, what am I doing here? I'm trying to kill my enemy or die trying But as the enemy came close The thing that hurt me most Is I saw that his face looked just like mine Lord, Lord, just like mine 
I could not help but think Through the thunder sound and stink That I was just a puppet in a play But through the roaring smoke The string had finally broke And a cannonball blew my eyes away As he turned away to walk His ma was still in shock Seeing the metal brace that helped him stand But as he turned to go He called his mother close And he dropped his medals down into her hand Oh, love to her hand Although Dylan did not appear in the October edition of Broadside, a significant seven-page cover story on Dylan, written by Broadside's Gil Turner, the MC of Gertie's Folk City and Dylan's friend, was the centerpiece of the October-November edition of Sing Out, the fourth issue of the twelfth volume. The article not only featured the lyrics to Blowin' in the Wind, with comments by Dylan on the song, but also lyrics and comments by the author on Song to Woody and Ballad of Donald White. The cover photo was by fellow traveler John Cohen, and you can see it as the background to the custom logo for this episode of Hard Rain and Slow Trains. Clearly, the roving lens of public attention was pivoting to Dylan. Dylan had two radio engagements in early October of 1962. He appeared on Cynthia Gooding's Folk Singer's Choice for the second of his two 1962 appearances on her show. Selections from the first appearance were played in our February 10th 2022 episode, A Highway of Diamonds, Bob Dylan in February of 1962. This time, he was performing with John Gibbons. A week later, he appeared on the Billy Fair Show, also on WBAI. On October 5th, Dylan headlined a traveling hootenanny show at New York City's Town Hall, which is celebrating its centenary this year in 2022. Here is Robert Shelton's eyewitness report of the concert. On October 5th, Dylan was top-billed in a town hall concert with Ian and Sylvia, John Lee Hooker, Judy Collins, Lynn Gold, and instrumentalist Sandy Bull. Sponsored by the Folklore Center, the concert presented almost all Grossman clients or choices. The program was an experiment, a show of professionals coupled with amateur volunteers from the audience. Bring your guitars and banjos, read the program for the show, scheduled to go on to various campuses. Dylan, in much better form, was among the most enthusiastically received. He did his talk in New York, John Birch, Hollis Brown, and finished with Hard Rain. On October 5th, while Dylan headlined the Town Hall Hootenanny, in England, the first Beatles single, Love Me Do, backed with P.S. I Love You, was released. At this same time, Jimi Hendrix was in Clarksville, Tennessee, having just formed the band King Casuals with his friend Billy Cox. He was learning to play rhythm and blues with his teeth, and the band began playing obscure gigs. The world was changing, even if it wouldn't be until the next year when most of the people in that world would begin to catch on. As for the rest of Dylan's October of 1962, the middle of the month saw the two nights of recording at the Gaslight Cafe. The end of the month saw the recording of four songs at Folkway Studio so that they could be transcribed for eventual publication in Broadside Magazine. These songs included Oxford Town, Paths of Victory, Walking Down the Line, and I'd Hate to Be You on That Dreadful Day, which was eventually released in 1972 on the album Broadside Reunion. 
Finally, in addition to writing Susie in Italy and hanging around in cafes waiting for the world to end, October saw Dylan finally back in Columbia Studio A at 799 7th Avenue between 51st and 52nd Streets in Manhattan after a three-month break for the fourth of an eventual eight recording sessions for the freewheeling Bob Dylan. On the 26th of October, Dylan recorded three songs, Karina Karina, Mixed Up Confusion, and That's Alright Mama. Importantly, these were Dylan's first commercial studio recordings with a band. The band included Bruce Langhorn on guitar, Howie Collins on guitar, the boogie-woogie pianist from Connecticut Dick Wellstood on piano, jazz bassist Leonard Gaskin, who had performed with Dizzy Gillespie, Charlie Parker, and Billie Holiday, Stan Getz, and Miles Davis on bass, and jazz and R&B drummer Herb Lovell on drums, who went on to have a recurring role on Law & Order. All have since passed on. Only Dylan remains. From this session came the Karina Karina B-side to Dylan's first single. Also recorded in this session was the version of Karina Karina, a different take, that would appear on the freewheeling Bob Dylan the following year. One by one They're turning out the lights I've been feeding that old jukebox just to hold you tight Guess it's for the best I just put in my last dime Heard you whisper we'd meet again Another place, another time I have periodically hosted episodes in a series called The Last One Standing here at Hard Rain and Slow Trains. The series celebrates those musicians who are still with us and who first began their recording career in the 1950s. The most recent episode was part six and was broadcast on December 16, 2021 and featured Mavis Staples. The impetus for the series was Little Richard, Willie Nelson, and Jerry Lee Lewis. Little Richard passed away two days after the first Last One Standing episode aired back on May 7th of 2020. On Friday, Jerry Lee Lewis, who had a 2006 album titled Last Man Standing, passed away at his home in Nesbitt, Mississippi at the age of 87. Jerry Lee delivered early rock and roll hits to Sam Phillips of Sun Records not long after Elvis left Sun for RCA. He rocked the Star Club in Hamburg in 1964 and just about any theater dive or juke joint he played. He turned to country and gospel in the late 60s and hung on for 60 years, the last of the Million Dollar Quartet. He was an iconoclast with a yearning for heaven yet forever thrilled by the heat of the fire. Jerry Lee Lewis of Faraday, Louisiana, one of the last ones standing, standing no more. Dylan performed an encore last night in Nottingham while touring England to honor Jerry Lee. 
I Can't Seem to Say Goodbye, a Don Robertson pen song that Lewis recorded in 1963 for Sun and wasn't released until 1970, when it hit seven on Billboard's country chart. Thursday the 27th, Nottingham on Friday the 28th where he performed his first encore of the Rough and Rowdy Ways World Tour. Now he's on to Scotland where he will play Glasgow on Sunday and Monday and then back to England for a concert in Manchester on Wednesday, a show in Oxford on Friday, Burnmouth on Saturday, and then Dylan will bring this leg of the tour to a close in Dublin on Monday, November 7th. Publication date for Dylan's 340-page The Philosophy of Modern Song is Tuesday, November 1st. Reviews have appeared online, and they're quite positive. You can bet that Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers, will be telling you more about it once my copy arrives in the mail and I've read it. Stay tuned. And that's the news 60 years ago and today in the diamond-strewn world. Bob Dylan. If you enjoy what we're doing here on Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers, and if you are in a position to help, we know times, as well as the rain, can be hard. Consider supporting the show through Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com, where you can look up Hard Rain and Slow Trains and pledge $3 a month, which gives you access to behind-the-scenes articles on the episodes, $10 a month, which provides access to the complete playlists for all the episodes, or $30 a month. Anything you donate goes back into Hard Rain and Slow Trains to help keep the show going, which is produced for KEPW as an all-volunteer labor of love. All three years' worth of episodes are available for free on the Hard Rain and Slow Trains webpage and your favorite podcasting app. But producing and archiving the show does take money. If you're already a patron, thank you. And whether or not you can support the show, please consider writing a review of Hard Rain and Slow Trains through the podcasting app you use. 
It's a little thing you can do to help us out. Also, don't be a stranger. You can contact us through Twitter at Rain Trains to let us know how we're doing, make suggestions, or participate in the conversation about Bob Dylan and his fellow travelers pulling through the hard rain on that slow train. If you'd like to hear more from Bob Dylan in October of 1962, you can hear Dylan's stirring performance of Barbara Allen from the Gaslight Cafe in our September 15th, 2022 episode of Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Tempest at 10, Scarlet Town. You can hear one of Dylan's all-time great vocals in his Gaslight Cafe performance of Moonshiner in our first ever episode of Hard Rain and Slow Trains on February 28th, 2019, titled Bob Dylan as Singer. It was also played in our May 20th, 2021 episode, The Days of Our Years Before Score Years, Bob Dylan's 80th Birthday with Michael Gray, in our June 3rd, 2021 episode, in the Who Did It Better segment of Last One Standing Part 4, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, as the winner of the first ever Who Did It Better tournament. Dylan's performance of Handsome Molly, one of my favorites, featured in the February 11th, 2021 episode of Hard Rain and Slow Trains, I've Been to London, Cities Where Bob Dylan Recorded Part 1. Speaking of Handsome Molly, I'd like to give a shout-out to our newest Patreon members, Molly Mullen and her son Malcolm. Thank you to Molly and Malcolm, who vote in our Who Did It Better poll every week. And thank you to all of our Patreon patrons, who help keep hard rain and slow trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers, moving down the tracks. It's time once again for Who Did It Better? This is your chance to vote for whose version of the song of the week you think is better. Somebody just asked me if I'm registered to vote. Go to our Twitter page at Raintrains. Vote for who did it better. Last week on Who Did It Better, we asked you to tell us who did When I Paint My Masterpiece Better Live, Jerry Garcia and John Kahn in 1986. Or the band, without the late Richard Manuel or Robbie Robertson, but with Richard Bell from Columbia Records celebrates the music of Bob Dylan on the stage of Madison Square Garden on October 16, 1992. Columbia Records has even more to celebrate because with 84% of the vote, you told us that the band did it better. Of course, they were the first ones to record the song, appearing as it did on their 1971 album, Cahoots. It was a live favorite, though, for Garcia and for the Grateful Dead. Bob Ware was actually just in Eugene on October 22nd, and while he did not perform When I Paint My Masterpiece, he did play a version of Dylan's Queen Jane Approximately. And John in Arlington, yes, that recorded your vote for Garcia and Khan. I devoted much of tonight's episode to Dylan's mid-October 1962 Gaslight Cafe performance, a performance that captured a tender, plaintive quality in Dylan's voice. Yet when Dylan entered Columbia Studio A on October 26th, it was rock and roll that was on his mind. His girlfriend at the time, Susie Rotolo, wrote in her memoir, a cultural war was about to break out in many arenas, 
Rock and roll was approaching adolescence, and kids who had grown up with one foot in folk music and the other in rock were unsteady in their loyalties. Rock was tied to commercialism and selling out. Elvis was a flagrant reminder of that. A musician will censure and judge music, but not by genre. Bob and I listened to rock and roll, which was part of the musical landscape. He didn't separate music into categories of worthiness, nor did I. I'd grown up listening to all kinds of music. Bob soaked up everything and glommed onto whatever taught him something new. This week in Who Did It Better, we are going to ask you who did Corina Corina better? The version from the B-side of Dylan's first single, released on December 14, 1962? Or the version from The Killer, the late great Jerry Lee Lewis, that he included on his 1965 album, The Return of Rock? We'll follow these performances up with a couple more up-tempo numbers from the same Dylan recording sessions where Dylan's rock and roll sensibility is a little bit more on display. Listen to these two versions of Corina Corina. Lewis's is titled the more traditional Corrine Corina. And then go to our Twitter page at Rain Trains and tell us who did it better. Corina Corina, yeah, where you been so long? Corina Corina. Yeah, where you been so long? I've been worrying about you, baby. Baby, please come home. I got a bird that whistles. I got a bird that sings. I got a bird that whistles I got a bird that sings But I ain't got Corina Life don't mean a thing
Go to our Twitter page to vote and tell us who did Karina Karina better, Bob Dylan or Jerry Lee Lewis. In the song, her name might have been Karina, but I think circumstances and sentiment make it clear that the baby that Dylan wanted to please come home was Susie. Stay tuned to KEPW for Deadish, Searching for the Sound, which follows Hard Rain and Slow Trains. Jeff will be playing the Grateful Dead live in concert from previous November 3rds. We'll go out tonight with a couple of more up-tempo numbers from Dylan's October 26th recording session for Columbia, both with the same band with which he recorded Karina Karina. The first take of That's Alright Mama and the third take of Mixed Up Confusion, a take that features a little more prominent guitar and a little less prominent piano than either the version that would be released as Dylan's first single or the version that was released 23 years later on the anthology collection Biograph. That's all right for you. That's all right, no mama. Just any way you do. That's all right, mama. That's all right, no. That's all right, baby. That's all right, no mama. Any way you do. Well, my mama, she done told me. Papa done told me too. Son, that girl you're fooling with, she ain't no good for you. But that's all right, that's all right, that's all right, mom. That's all right, that's all right now, mama. Well, away you do.
season. Tune in next week when we will be continuing our 2022 series, Tempest at 10, celebrating the 10th anniversary of Dylan's album Tempest. Them early Roman kings are coming down from the mountain, distributing the corn like philosopher kings, deploying bread and circuses. Come on back to Hard Rain and Slow Trains, Bob Dylan and fellow travelers, to hear all about it. I've had my fun I've had my flames 
Gonna shake them on down Like the early roaming kings 